Is that true? But also, it's one of the only places that we hear about Melchizedek. We hear about Melchizedek in Genesis 14, in Psalm 110, and then we hear about him in the letter to the Hebrews, and in, in large part in the passage that we're going to look at today. And it's so important to think about this because we don't know a whole lot about Melchizedek in Genesis. We don't know hardly anything. That's probably not right grammatically. We don't know much about Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And then for hundreds of years, it's silence. And then in the Psalms, we hear you're a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's all we have. And then we get the letter to the Hebrews, and he starts to expand about why this is so important. And so I'm going to read the uh, text from Psalm 10 before I read our passage this morning, because we'll pretty much have covered all that we know about Melchizedek as we look at these three passages. But let me pray for our time. Our Heavenly Father, we know that only in your light do we see light. And we ask that you would send the spirit of light, the Holy Spirit, now to enlighten us, to give us understanding into your word, uh, which all men are dependent upon. We're all dependent upon your spirit to enlighten us into the meaning of your word. And so we ask that you would do that now to your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll read Psalm 110.4, just the one verse, and I'll go into our text. Psalm 110.4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then to our text in Hebrews for this morning. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues forever a priest. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though they are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. 
For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath. By the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like like the high priest, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself, For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of God. As we look at this passage today, I want to look at three things. The title, as you see, is a superior high priest, question mark, and the answer is emphatically, yes, yes, he is a superior high priest a superior high priest to all the Levitical priests. And we'll look at that as we move through the text. But I only want to look at three points. There's so much that we could cover here, but I just want to look at this passage under three heads. The first one is, why is the writer talking about Melchizedek? That's always a good question to ask when you're reading the scripture. Why is the Holy Spirit telling me about Melchizedek in this passage of the scripture? And along with that, sometimes if you, if you go through and you outline the argument of the writer, you'll start to understand why he's saying certain things. But in this case, there's a little bit more background that we'll try to uncover over the next week or two as to why he wants to talk about Melchizedek and other things that we've already looked at, the angels or Moses. We want to see why does he keep talking about these things? He has a reason, and so we want to look at that first. And secondly, I want to look at Uh, In a sense, kind of a backhanded way, what's not said about Melchizedek? There's things that are left out or they're so important. You know, in the past I mentioned that we really don't know who the writer to the Hebrews is. That's pretty amazing. We know who the author of many other books of the Bible are, but we don't know for certain who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. But where do we we find that uh, the basis for that authority? Why don't we know? It's because God didn't want us to know. At least at this point in time. We don't know who it is. But we know that when the disciples gathered at the end of the book of John, that they they caught 153 fish. That was a detail that God wanted us to know, an eyewitness account of being there with the fish, with Jesus. And so when we read the scriptures, every detail is there because God wants it. And every detail that's not there is there because God doesn't want it for us in some sense. And so it's always important to let the word be our authority. Let the, the word shape us as we're, we're looking at the different texts. So there's much that's not said about Melchizedek. That's my second point that I'll get to. 
And that's caused a lot of speculation over the years by many, many wonderful uh, men of the faith over the course of history. But I think we'll, we'll see a little more clearly why what we hear is what we hear in Genesis 14. And then finally, uh, what can Jesus do as a high priest? We've already mentioned it with the children. What can, the, what can Jesus do as a high priest? He can forgive sins. But why is he a superior high priest? We'll look at that as a little bit more as well in that last point. So first, I just want to start off, why is the writer talking about Melchizedek? And I want to use two illustrations that will probably make total sense to you. You know, in light of the ER, if you go to the ER and you say, I have chest pain or angina, which I have in the past... But fortunately, I'm doing all right. If you go there and, they, and you tell them that, they don't start talking to you about the dangers of, of touching poison ivy. Why would they not talk to you about the dangers of poison ivy? It's totally irrelevant. Now, if you came in with horrible rashes all over your body, they might start talking about poison ivy. But there's no reason to do it if that's not your symptoms. And so the writer to the Hebrews sees that there's certain symptoms Because their theology is bad, it's muddled, it's horribly wrong. And so he wants to talk about Melchizedek. Melchizedek, apparently, was an important figure in the minds of many of his hearers. But in an inordinate way, maybe. In an inordinate way. And they thought very highly of the Levitical priesthood. These people thought that eventually there would be Uh, someone in the Levitical line who would come back and restore the Levitical priesthood to its former glory and even better. But that was totally mistaken. And so here in this, this passage particularly, he has to talk about how the Levitical priesthood was weak. That the priesthood that, that had the Levites and all their descendants, that was weak. It was insufficient. And there was a need for a better priesthood a priesthood under the uh, order of Melchizedek. And so he's doing exactly what anybody else would do. They're talking to the point. If you go to a garage and you say, my engine's making all these horrible noises, it's smoking, the the mechanic's not going to say, well, you know, if you leave your dome light on overnight, that can really drain the battery. It wouldn't make any sense. It would be irrelevant. He wouldn't talk about that. He would listen he would, he's already been trained to know what certain noises mean, and he would start to narrow it down. And he would focus on that certain aspect. And again, in the same way, the writer to the Hebrews is focusing on Melchizedek and the Levitical priesthood. Because they had such a messed up idea of what the Levitical priesthood was supposed to do that he needed to bring them to Melchizedek. And what does he do? He reminds them of the Old Testament. He reminds them of the Old Testament. And he reminds them that Jesus is a high priest that is superior to the Levitical priesthood under the order of Melchizedek. He's bringing them back to Jesus, but not just Jesus in some vague way. He's saying he's a high priest under the order of Melchizedek. But again, he's bringing their face back to Jesus as he does throughout his letter. And he's doing a great mercy to them. He's undermining their false teaching. He's undermining what they thought was so important, the Levitical priesthood, where it was raised far beyond what God intended for it. This is a deadly mistake because only in Jesus is there forgiveness of sins. Only in Jesus is there salvation. And they've gone off on some tangent, a vain tangent, a vain hope that somebody in the line of Levi would come back and be a Messiah-type figure. 
He's saying, no, 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 no. That's, that's done away with now. There's, there's a new covenant that supersedes that covenant. And Jesus is the great high priest of that covenant. And so the writer has been very kind and very merciful as he addresses his, his audience. He wants to dispel their darkness and their confusion. And how does he do it? He does it with the light of Christ as Christ really is, the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so that's why the writer has to talk to him about Melchizedek. He has to talk to them about the Levitical priesthood because they're so confused. They're so confused. So that was our first point. Our second point is, it's interesting what the writer is saying about what we don't know about Melchizedek. We hardly know anything. He comes on the stage. He interacts with Abraham. He walks off the stage. It's like, where did he come from? Where did he go? We don't know. We have no information. Hundreds of years later, we get the, the news about him being a, uh, a priest and that Christ was, a, was going to be a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's all the light they had. And so he has to explain to them what was going on with Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to have time in the sermon, but if we have sermon discussion today or next week, we can talk about all the ideas people have had over the course of church history as to who Melchizedek was. In the church that I'm, uh, I've been a member of for 30-some years, I had a, a dear friend. He really thought that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ. And I thought, no, I don't think so. You know? And as I've read, it's like, yeah, he's not. Melchizedek is Melchizedek. <laughs> Melchizedek is a man. He was a man who was a king. And he came onto the stage of Scripture in the Old Testament, and he walked off the stage. But God had a purpose for that. He was a priest. He was a priest of the, of the Most High God. And so there's a question. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wasn't, aren't there promises with Abraham? What is going on here? And the best thing I can understand is that after the flood, there was promises were made to Noah and his children. And some of those promises kept going on in a place we didn't see. It's not mentioned of in Scripture until we had this priest of the Most High God. He wasn't a fake priest. He was a real priest, but of a different order. He wasn't of the line of Levi that would come many years later. He precedes all that. And so when we look at the Old Testament data to figure out what's going on, we, we see, first of all, we don't know who his father was. We don't know who his mother was. We don't even know what family he was a part of. It's all a mystery. It really is a mystery. We don't know. But who, who, who made it that way for us? Who gave us that data? It was the Holy Spirit. Because all along, just like the rest of the Old Testament, it's going to point to Christ. Christ will be that priest after the order of Melchizedek. And all we need to know is the information we got in Genesis 14, in Psalm 110. That's all we need to know. Genealogies are a big deal in the early part of Genesis. You go through and you see the genealogy of, Ab- of Adam, of Noah, of Shem, of Terah. And then when we get to Abraham, it just goes all the way through. Isaac and Jacob and their children. It's very, very important. Those are true worshipers of God. Those are so important to know where they came from and where they went. But we don't know anything about Melchizedek. We don't know what line he came from. And yet he's a very important figure. Abraham paid tithes to him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. The greater blesses the lesser. 
but we know so little. But the whole point is the Holy Spirit was just showing us a picture of the Christ to come, that he would be like Melchizedek. Sinclair Ferguson has said, similarity is not the same as identity. You can look like somebody, but you're not them, right? You see people have these doubles, stunt doubles even, that look pretty much like them, but they're not the same person. And so for Melchizedek, he was like Christ. He was a great, great type of Christ. But even he was a shadow of Christ. Christ was much more superior than he was. So we don't know who Melchizedek's father or mother are. And so that's what it means when it says he is without father or mother in genealogy. We know very little. We don't know how long he lived. We don't know when he died. But we know it for so many in the early part of Genesis. Usually there was a reference point that when Adam became such and such age, he had a son. There's a data point in terms of relation to the father as to when the person was born. And then we see that they lived to be a certain amount of time. We have none of that for Melchizedek. We have none of it. And so that's what it means when it says he's without father or mother or genealogy. It doesn't mean he didn't have a father, an earthly father like any of us, or an earthly mother like any of us, or an earthly genealogy like any of us. It just means what we know of him. We don't know what it is. And it didn't matter because he was from a different order of priesthood. A different priesthood, a valid priesthood, but a different priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. And so there's no need to worry that that we don't hear about his father and his mother. It doesn't mean he's a pre-incarnate Christ. It doesn't mean he's an angel. It just means we don't need to know. (laughs) Because all we need to know is that he comes onto the stage and he walks off. Just like the eternal son of God came, took on human flesh, and he, he goes to glory. A very similar parallel. So we don't know who his his father and mother are, and it doesn't matter. But also in verse 7-3, it says uh, that that, uh, Melchizedek, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Like I said, we don't know when he started and when he finished. And that's really important because in the Levitical line, there was a problem that kept them from serving forever. And that was the problem that we all face, and that's death. A priest would live for a certain time, and they might retire at a certain age, or they would die in office. And there had to be a new priest. And then they'd have to have a new priest. And they'd have to have a new priest. But not Jesus. Not Jesus, for he lives forever. And so they're not saying, the writer to the Hebrews is not saying that Melchizedek had lived eternally, that he had no beginning of days nor end of life. We just, it's not spoken about there. And in that sense, he's a type of Christ. No beginning, no end. The eternal begotten Son of God. And so it's a, he's a very unique high priest. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. And so that's why we have these omissions in the Old Testament, that God in his wisdom and his providence only gave us the data that we needed so that Melchizedek could be an appropriate type of Christ to come, just like the other types of the scripture in the Old Testament. Pointing to Christ. The the star of Hebrews is not Melchizedek, it's not angels, it's not Moses, it's Jesus. And so this information about Melchizedek helps us to understand Jesus better 
that whereas in a sentence, in a, in a negative sense, Melchizedek, we don't know where he came from. We don't, he doesn't have beginning of days or end of life. Jesus positively fulfills that. He had no beginning of days. He has no end of life. He lives forever as a priest, a living priest who will never die, who will never face the, the matter of death like the Levitical priesthood did. He will serve for all, for all, for all eternity as the high priest. And so these things are just very simple little Details to help us to see that Melchizedek is being pointed to as a type of Christ to come, who has come, and and Jesus has fulfilled all these descriptions in reality. All these descriptions in reality. It's interesting, the writer to the Hebrews has already used prophets and angels and Moses. He'll talk about rest, the unchangeability and the greatness of the promises to Abraham. And now in a concentrated measure, he talks about the high priesthood of Melchizedek to spotlight and extol the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll go on. He'll talk about a superior covenant and a superior holy place and superior blood and a superior sacrifice and a superior hope and superior confidence, which are immutable because of Christ, because he lives forever. His sacrifice is valid right now. He is at the right hand of the Father now, interceding. And and for those who would come to him, their sins can be washed away even now. And so the writer to the Hebrews uses all of this information to extol Christ, to give us a more precise understanding of Christ, that we might not drift to the left or to the right. Now, I trust today that many of you are not thinking that you're waiting for a second Levitical Messiah. But all of us need to have our thoughts honed and sharpened by the word of God. It goes over and over and over again. And it hones our thinking about who Jesus is. It hones our thinking about what he has done. All scripture is doing that for us in some sense. And this passage this morning is is showing us what a great high priest Jesus is. As great as Melchizedek was, even greater than Abraham in some sense, Jesus is greater than him. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. And so that's why the writer has addressed this. This is why we we have this data that we take from Genesis 14 and from Psalm 110 that we might see Jesus more clearly. Data given to us by the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit, to accurately portray the Lord Jesus Christ. So we looked at why the writer's writing, what he, why he wrote about Melchizedek. We understand why there's information left out about Melchizedek to help us to understand who Jesus is. But finally and most important is what Jesus as high priest can do that none of the other priests could do. Why he really is the, a superior high priest. Verses 7.23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost or completely, you'll see in your Bible if you have a footnote. Those who draw near to God through him. 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. He will never stop in that office. The whole sacrificial system, the whole Old Testament economy couldn't save you. The writer will even say the blood of bulls and goats cannot save you in the fullness of what Jesus has come to do. They were types. They were signs. There were regulations. There was an earthly holy place. But it wasn't the holy, holy place of glory where Jesus entered in behind the veil to offer himself, his own body as the sacrifice. To offer his own perfect bodily sacrifice on behalf of our sins as the perfect superior high priest which was accepted there's no no comparison he had no sins of his own like the other priest had you know what sin is like as a burden but the priest had to offer sacrifices for themselves and then they had to offer them for the people Jesus didn't have to do that He was sin on behalf of his people. Yes, he died as a sacrifice, but it wasn't his own sin. It was on our behalf. Death doesn't prevent him. Nothing can prevent him from doing his job. He has an indestructible body. He'll never face death again. He died once in our stead that we may never die again. Add to that his perfect blood which is accepted in the true sanctuary, not the the pattern that Moses created from what he saw. He did it in the reality. Right now, it's been paid for. Christ is a superior high priest now. You can go to him now, and he will cleanse you now. If you're not united to Christ, he can make you a new creature. As we talk with the children, he he can not only just heal bodily functions, He can heal your soul. He can take away your heart of flesh and give give you a heart of your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He can take away the blind eyes that you have and give you eyes to see the glory of Christ. He can take away your deaf ears where the gospel makes no sense. It's like, oh, I get it. I get it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to, to make us new creatures in Christ. And so he's able to save from the uttermost. And to the uttermost. He can save to the uttermost. He will finish the work. He will finish the work in glory. You know, we're all aware that we have sins. We have a remaining corruption. It's going to be gone away. When Jesus finishes his work, no more sin. No more sorrow. No more guilt. Because Christ has paid for it. We'll be able to serve God joyfully and happily. In in glory. That's what we're waiting for. The completion of our salvation. It's already begun if we're in Christ now. We've had the definitive sanctification. But there's progressive sanctification. We're moving more and more into the image of Christ. As God's word and his spirit work upon us. Convict us of sin. Show us our sin. We confess our sin. We walk in newness of life. That is what Christ does for us. And this is no... Just talking theoretically about stuff. We're talking about the God of reality. The God who rules over this room, who rules over the heavens. That these truths are ours in Christ. And they're absolutely perfect. 
So if you find yourself this morning and you say, I am a wretched man or a wretched woman or a wretched child, you have hope because there is a superior high priest who lives forever to intercede for us. You know, we've been reminded of the shortness of life. This past Monday, I went to, I was off, <laughs> and I drove down to Harrisonburg, Virginia to have lunch with my sister, or dinner. And as I was driving, I, I had already arranged the FaceTime. You know, I have my new smartphone. And I did FaceTime with a friend of mine in Austin, Texas. And I hadn't talked to him in a while. He's the friend I've talked to you about. Born the same day I was. Our, our fathers died within a week of each other. And I'm looking for a light time with him. And I, you know, Spotwood High School, if you've ever been there, there's a nice mountain behind us. I say, hey, look at this. Man, it's pretty cool. And I bring it back down here. I start talking. I'm looking at him. I'm listening to him. I'm thinking, his voice sounds kind of gravelly. And he looks like he's lost weight. He's in good shape. He's in much better shape than I am. He works out at the gym. Then he walks with his wife after dinner. And I'm thinking, something's not right. I said, hey, your voice sounds gravelly. He goes, okay, hold on, hold on. He says, I was in the hospital last week. I had COVID, and I had to be in the hospital. He kept pumping me with drugs. He lost 20 pounds. He said, this has refocused my life. I started weeping. I said, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. He's one of my best friends. I've known him as long as I've known my wife and some other men. I couldn't believe it. He could have died. But he said it refocused his life. He's a great musician. He wants to... He wants to prioritize what he does with the rest of his life with his music. But life is brief. Life is short. I know for my young friends, it might seem like it's hard to understand. But you know, we have our older friends who pass here. And that's for you to take to heart that you might spend your life for Christ now. And not wait. Not wait. Come to him now. That you might have your sins forgiven and you might love him and serve him. Another thing I did this week is I watched a wonderful documentary on Gordon Lightfoot. It was about an hour and a half. And I, I, I knew he wrote beautiful songs, beautiful, incredibly beautiful tunes. And it's easy to watch. It goes by really quickly. It's an hour and a half. It goes really quickly because they keep playing his music throughout the whole uh, time they're talking about him. And he's from Canada, and he's written many, many songs Somebody said if there was a Mount Rushmore of Canada, he'd be on there. And I'm listening to his interview, and they're talking about his life story. He made some bad choices over the years. Let's just say that. And uh, at the end of the movie, he's sitting there, and he's sitting at a desk. He said, I know I hurt a lot of people. I traumatized a lot of people. And a lot of them were women. He said, That's just, he said I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't make light of that. It's part of the guilt complex. And I thought, I want to take a seat and say, Gordon, (laughs) Mr. Lightfoot, there is a great high priest who lives forever to intercede for us. Your sins can be forgiven. You can turn to him now. This man who really got a lot of the human situation under sin, I want to say, there's a great high priest. There's a reason to hope. Come now. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we often talk about this or that being relevant in our lives. Father, there's nothing more relevant than your word. There's nothing more relevant than you. There's no 
nothing more relevant than your son and his work on our behalf. We ask that by your grace that would always be the case for us. That as we enjoy the very good things that you give us in this life, food and drink and relationships and your other created order things, that behind that we would always see your goodness to us in Christ. That would permeate all of our lives, all of our thinking, that when we're alone and our thoughts go off somewhere, they go off to you. And that whether we're by ourselves or with others, we would enjoy the fellowship that we have now because of your Son and with you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, if there be any here who have never trusted in Christ, we ask that you would grant them to see the beauty of Christ, that this might be that day of definitive sanctification where they, they move towards Christ, they come to Christ, they trust in Christ. Their stony heart is taken away, their blind eyes are made to see, their deaf ears are made to hear. Father, you do great and marvelous things. We ask that you would do that in our midst, and for the remainder of our lives, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.